How's everyone doing? It's like God's presence good. Let's just give our team a hand. I mean, they are doing such, such a great job. Their, their heart's desire is to lead us into his presence, and it's happening. And, uh, you know, I often stand in awe of how God weaves together a service. Uh, you know, it's amazing to just see the thread through it today uh, with prayer, with worship, with with the things that we're about to talk about. And we're finishing this series called Seeking Shalom Together. We're looking at what does it mean for us to be the church, to be the people of God. And it's been an awesome, awesome journey over the last few weeks. I'd encourage you, if you missed any, to go back and check it out online. By the way, online crowd, we love you. We're glad you're there as well. But today, this message started burning me a few weeks ago. And the idea is confessing victory. Now, I, I got to tell you, I didn't have any, I didn't know what the exact direction of, of, of the text and the scriptures would be. Truthfully, I had three sermons on Sunday with one title, or I'm sorry, on Wednesday with one title. And, and so it's been God bringing it to a point of clarity, but the big idea has been burning for three weeks, and I got to get this thing out today. You ready? Okay, it's this idea that if we are to be his church seeking shalom, that, that we are a people confessing victory. Even when life, even when circumstances, even when the things around us don't look victorious, we follow Jesus Christ. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection means we are victorious. And that we, as the church of Jesus Christ, are a confessional community that are confessing victory at every step and every turn because we know whose we are and ultimately who has won the war. The battle may be difficult, but the war is his and we are victorious in Christ. So as we look at this today, yeah, you, it's gonna be participatory today. You're welcome to bring it right back, right? Like it's March Madness, y'all are cheering for your teams. Come on, like we're not cheering for me, but to be clear, it's Jesus and who he is and who he wants to be in his church, amen? amen. Jeremiah 29, seven has been a verse that has anchored this series. It says, but seek the welfare, that's the word shalom, of the city where I've sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare, shalom, you will find your welfare, or shalom. Shalom being this word that says, I'll piece it all to." back together. I'll take everything that's wrong and make it right. It's bigger than just peace in the way we understand it here in America. It's a peace that is deeper and richer, that takes all the broken pieces and brings them back to wholeness in Christ. And, and when you look at this text, it was given at a time where these people were actually being called to, as it said, live in this place of captivity. They would live there for 70 years, as we've learned, in this place of captivity where they didn't want to be, where it probably didn't feel peaceful, but they had a victory that had been prophesied and was coming, and so they had to learn how do we live, how do we function, how do we dwell, how do we be God's people? And, and it's interesting how like God always does this, right, throughout Scripture. He does it now. He, he says, you believe in me, but will you follow me? You believe in me, but is it more than just something on a Sunday morning on your couch if you're online or in a chair if you're sitting here? Is it actually a lifestyle? A, a lifestyle, a way of living that we participate in and that is all 
connected in ways that doesn't look disconnected to those around us or to the world that is watching. When I was a kid, it was actually basketball that brought me alive. I was about 10 year, or 11 years old, super overweight kid, just struggling with life, had lost an aunt, and, and, and you know, my life was in disarray, and then and you go, well, how is that possible at 10 or 11? It is. Much of what we deal with today in our lives as adults came out of childhood wounds. Did you know that? So it was actually at about that place that, that I f- had a babysitter that forced me to watch March Madness, and their passion became my passion, and I got the bug, and I fell in love. And I took basketball as far as basketball would potentially take me, which meant I, I by God's grace, exceeded my talent by hard work, and I made it to captain of my varsity basketball team in high school. And then my career was over. <laughs> and, and so I still had the love, though. So I get to college, and I'm at a, small, a mid-sized D1 school, and I decide, well, I, now I'm going to shift to coaching. And so I became a part of the team by being a manager. My son yesterday asked me, Dad, was that humbling? You better believe it was. To realize that I didn't belong on that court any longer as a player, but I was still being invited to participate now in a new way. I actually was fortunate during that that period of time that that team won a conference championship. That team went to the NCAA tournament. That team won in the first round when nobody thought we should even be there. And so I got to experience something of March Madness that a lot of people don't get to experience. Now, at the same time, as a fan, I've watched for years online, and yesterday I decided it's in Orlando, let's go. I grabbed my 16-year-old son who loves basketball, and we went up to Orlando to watch the game. Two games, actually, and it was a lot of fun. Any March Madness fans in the room? Okay. It was a good time, but I got to be honest, I'm watching and going, I'm not on the court. I'm not on the sideline. I'm not even behind the scenes. Y'all, I was in the nosebleeds. I got the seat we could afford. It it, it was a good seat, and my son enjoyed it. And we had a great time, but I got to admit that the three-hour drive, right, up and back, and the ability to just sit on my couch and take it in was kind of attractive. Can you see how our faith can be like that? Where there's this invitation to be on the court, in the game, a part of what God has, and to be the people that are confessing victory as a part of our lifestyle, and yet sometimes it's easier to go, hmm, yeah, I'm going to watch from the sidelines on this. And we get so comfortable. You see, we are a church where God is doing something special. He really is. We are watching God work and move as he invites us to unity and participation. When you think about the last year and what God has done even, it is miraculous. And when we think about this verse and what does it mean for us to be a people seeking shalom together, uh, let me read to you a quote by a a theologian and professor in academia, uh, Elizabeth Condi Frazier. She says this, Shalom is a concept that cannot be captured by a single word, for it includes many dimensions, love, loyalty, truth, grace, salvation, justice, blessing, and righteousness. It is a biblical vision in which all of creation is one, say one, and every living creature in community and harmony with 
every other for the joy and the well-being of all. Shalom is there for a vision of connectedness for an entire community. Young, elderly, aren't you glad we're a multi-generational church? Rich, poor, Latino, Anglo, Native American, Asian, African American, powerful and dependent. It, Shalom, affirms that people have the capacity to invest their gifts, say gifts, and efforts in the construction of a society that benefits themselves and everyone else. God said in Jeremiah 29, 7, seek the shalom, and as you seek it, you will also find yours. There's blessing that comes when we begin to live and participate in the life and the mission of God. I want to make sure you understand that a week ago, we celebrated our annual report. We've got a a link online. We would love for you to check it out because it's already happening here at Pathway. You are coming together and, and watching God work and witnessing miracles and things that we need to give him glory for. I would invite you to look at that report and look at through it, not through a lens of, of necessarily business metrics, but God's faithfulness and goodness and how he's inviting us to participate. But y'all, a year from now, what God wants to do is going to require even more of us coming together with him and saying, God, we're yours. And whatever you want, whatever you have, we're going to follow. So I'm pretty fired up today because there's something God is doing that is humbling to be a part of, but we're only scratching the surface right now. We're just getting started. So Father, as we dig deeper into your word today, we give you praise, we give you honor, we give you all the glory. You are faithful, you are holy. All the things we sang about, Lord, I pray that they would And your word would dwell richly within our hearts. That we would participate in the lifestyle, the mission that you've called us to be a part of. And may we confess victory as we confess our need for you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we think about this moment in time and in our church... You know, the church we celebrated back in October, our 80th year. So we're marching into the 81st year together. And that's so important to to understand as we look at what happened to these people in Jeremiah 29.7. And we jump ahead about 80 years. Turn with me in the book to Nehemiah chapter 8. Because they uh, had been waiting 70 years. And the book of Nehemiah covers about 13 years And so we enter at a time where we're looking at a people that are kind of sitting in the same time period of God's movement in those early 80s as far as the the moment. If you pick up with me in verse 1, they had rebuilt the walls. They had begun to see God bring them back into this Jerusalem from exile. They were now a people that were looking to God for direction. And here's where we pick up. Ezra is going to read the law. He's going to read to them from the word of God. It says, And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. 
And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read it from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday. So he's reading for a few hours. Y'all ready for this? Okay. In the presence of the men and women and those who could understand, and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood, now to Hebrew scholars, I apologize in advance. As a public speaker, you are taught, read with confidence when you don't know how to pronounce a name. So here we go. Mataniah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah on the... That one I definitely got wrong. On his right hand, and Padai, Michelle, Melchizedek, Hashem, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshlemim on his left hand. You're glad you're not me. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, and as he opened the, it, all the people stood. Have you ever wondered why in church tradition there's a moment where we stand for the reading of God's word? This actually is probably one of those moments in scripture where we see that. So we are here to participate. Would you stand with me as I read the rest of this section? Verse six, and Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, amen, amen. Let me see here, yeah, amen, amen. Lifting up their hands, huh, interesting, right? And they bowed their heads, you could do that too, and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Benai, Sherebiah, Jamin, Echabah, Shabadai, Hodiah, that, yeah, that I pronounced with a question on it. Hannah, Pelai, the Levites, helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense So that people understood the reading. I'm going to just pause right there. Stay standing for just a second. There were people that were explaining God's word and helping it make sense so everybody understood it. That's the role of what we do in teaching and communicating his word. It's also the role of life groups and classes, places where we can understand. Verse 9, Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and the scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is, what? Holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy, do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Here's a moment, if you're taking notes, of confession of victory, and we need to understand that the Spirit awakens his people to confess and to find victory in him. 
You see, you're not going to find the victory in your own strength. They had rebuilt walls in 52 days. There was a sense of victory. Yet in hearing God's word, they began to realize where they fell short. There was a conviction and a guilt that overcame them, and they began to grieve, and they began to weep. And when we confess who we're not, that's a part of the process. It's humbling to realize there's things that we need to get out into the open and confess, amen? There's things that are maybe standing in the way, and when the Spirit, in this case, worked through the Word of God, the Spirit began to show them areas that, hey, you need to confess that, you need to get that out in the open, and there was a sense of grief and lament. But I love what happened next because they were going to find that they were also victorious in the same moment because they said, don't just stay stuck there. You ever just made it about you when God shows you something? You, you ever been in that place where you're like, God, I'm so sorry, forgive me, and you, you, you almost stay there grieving and weeping and, 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 and lamenting because you've now moved from God is holy to I'm not, and you just almost get stuck in yourself. You see, what they were saying is, don't stay there, realize that God showed you this, because he's holy. And because he's holy and righteous and just, you should celebrate the victory that he's now wanting to restore his relationship with you. That it isn't about you. That it's not about me. That it's about this reality of victory in Christ And a God who loves us enough to point out what needs to change, to say, I've done it for you, I will do it for you, and you now can have joy and rejoicing because of what I've done where you fell short. And and so they're in this moment where it also says to take strength in the joy that he gives us, the joy of the Lord is our strength. It makes a whole lot more sense because many of us have used and quoted that verse without understanding that it comes out of confession. Yes, the joy of the Lord is your strength when you're able to admit you need him. When you're able to admit you're not and he is. When you're able to say, God, this day is gonna be hard, but I confess your victory And I'll rejoice in who you are in the strength you give me for what's ahead of me. That's a whole different reality, isn't it? And this joy is something that carried in to the New Testament and into the early church. It's actually, as we've talked throughout the series, I've highlighted the Apostle Paul a number of times. Paul is this incredible figure that wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, roughly, had a life that had victory, but often didn't look victorious. And in one of those moments, he's actually in a Roman prison writing a letter to a confessional victorious community in Philippi. And he writes the book of Philippians in prison. And when you read the book and read what he has to say, you hear confession of victory after confession of victory. And you begin to realize that none of us are meant to stay stuck in our stuff. None of us are meant to stay stuck in a place of defeat. Come on, church. 
I know I'm, I'm a lot today, but I do not apologize. Because I believe that God wants us to embrace him in new ways. And so we're going to look at what Paul said in the book of Philippians. And I, I actually was wrestling with like, do I read the whole book, all four chapters? And have them stand and, and I'll be on the wooden platform like Ezra and... God's like, no, man, like, get over your, get, get over it. <laughs> Actually, the way the Lord led, I've, I've never quite delivered a message in the way I'm about to deliver it. And it's because you and I are going to confess together and, and participate. Because there's some things Paul said that have so much meaning for today. So much meaning that when we realize and confess our need for him and God begins to move, th- these confessions of victory have significance and we begin to walk in them together amen Amen. so turn with me to the book of Philippians and uh, as we turn there you can put up just this idea the church is a witness to the victory of Christ by confessing victory in every season can you picture that that we are a witness in our world to the victory of Christ Because we confess victory in every season. Whether in prison or not, whether in the valley or on the mountaintop, wherever we find ourselves, we confess the victory of Christ. Amen? Amen. Philippians 1 verse 6, he said this. He says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Right? Let's go. So let me put up the first fill in the blank, and you're going to fill in the blank with me. Confessing victoriously, this is what we do. This is what Paul is doing. So how we're going to do this this morning is I'm going to read the text, I'm going to read the statement, half of it, confessing victoriously, and then you're going to confess victorially, victoriously what Paul was trying to get through. That's the second half with the fill in the blank. Do you see it? It says what? Jesus is working in me. That's a victory. That is what Paul is saying is that there's a work God has begun in me that he'll bring to completion. And sometimes there are days we need to remind ourselves of that, amen? So let's try this. You're gonna read the second half. Confessing victoriously. Come on. Jesus is working in you. And when you come into a right relationship with him, you can celebrate that if you get in alignment with Jesus, you get in alignment with his spirit, He will continue to bring that work into completion. He will do things that you can't do on your own. He will do things that you've been hoping for and waiting for and thinking that you had to make it happen and it's actually the Lord doing the work, amen? Amen. The second one comes out of Philippians 1, 21 through 26. Paul says this, and I would encourage you if you're not writing these down to write these down. Because if you and I will confess these things regularly, I believe we will see victory in our lives. We'll be reminded of our identity in Christ and who he is. 
Verse 21 through 26 says this, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor, labor for me, yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better. I'm hard-pressed, verse 23, between the two. My desire is to part and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. So that in me, you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. The second statement, we are confessing victoriously, Jesus gives my life purpose and meaning. Paul is saying for me to live as Christ and to die as gain, I want to go be with Jesus, but I'll stay here because he's given my life purpose and meaning while I wait on his return. Amen? So we confess victoriously, let's try it again, confessing victoriously, Jesus gives Isn't that great news? That as you get to know him and the plan he has, he has something for you that he wants to do. And this is where it becomes participation and being involved in the move of God. Philippians 2, 1 through 4. So if if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from my love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy. Did you notice joy is a theme through all of this today? By being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not only look to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. If you're taking notes, we are confessing victoriously that Jesus grants me humility and unity. So say it with me. We are confessing victoriously Jesus grants me humility and unity. Isn't that beautiful to think about? That he he grants us, and that that word is very strategic, because he gives us salvation. But the more I think about it, I realize that he's actually gifting us salvation, but granting us the opportunity for sanctification. You see, there's a difference between a gift and a grant. I've had a little experience in the nonprofit world before I came here and even here today. Gifts, usually in the right mindset and the right heart, come with no strings attached. Grants, on the other hand, Come with a whole lot of strings, a whole lot of accountability. And when we think about what Jesus does, we are gifted salvation and then granted an opportunity to grow with him and to be sanctified, and there's some accountability with that. You you see, we're accountable to how are we living. Are we humble or prideful? Are we unified or divisive? Are we bearing fruit Or are we just another tree that's withering and full of weeds and thorns and other things? Church, 
There's something more he wants to do. And we need to be a people that are confessing humility and unity that has been granted to us and we will be held accountable for. Philippians 2, 5 through 11, let me read it to you next. It says this, have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, say therefore, It's because of that death on the cross, therefore, that God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we are confessing victoriously together that Jesus sits on the throne of my heart. And that's a confession that I'd encourage you to remind yourself of daily. That that actually Jesus is the name above all names. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. Because of what he's done, he sits on the throne. Not you and I. What's wrong with Christianity? We don't talk about the cross and the king enough. We like Jesus on the cross, but we don't want to take up our own cross. We like the advancement and the fruit of the kingdom, but we don't necessarily like the king because we want to be king. We need to be a people confessing victoriously that Jesus sits on the throne of my heart. So let's do it together. Confessing victoriously, Jesus sits on the throne of my heart. Let that one sink deep, confess it regularly, because I'm just like you. I have many days where King Brian shows up. Anybody? And when he shows up, everything tends to fall apart. We need to confess that he sits on the throne. Confessing victoriously, the next one, Philippians 3, 12 through 14. Paul says this, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, say one thing I do. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So we become a people who are confessing victoriously that Jesus leads me onward and upward. Amen? And you might be like me going, but wait a minute, I thought we were a church that talks about restoring and and we want to go back to our place of pain and we want to find healing and we want to work through all of that stuff. Is Paul saying we don't do that? No. No. He's saying, because God has done that work, now I'm pressing onward and upward. That we're willing to say, God, meet me in those places where I need your forgiveness and I confess 
my need for you and I need healing and I need restoration. But because you've done that, Father, I keep pressing onward and upward with you. You lead me forward. He puts a new name on your pain. He takes your pain and your woundedness and your brokenness and he says, give it to me. That's mine. Let me put my name on that. Let me put a new name on you. You're my son. You're my daughter. I was there then and I'll be here now. I'll be there tomorrow. Confess me and keep moving onward and upward with me. Amen? So let's say it together with a little sense of victory. Confessing victoriously, Jesus leads me onward and upward. Come on, church. Y'all. Two more to go, two more to go. Uh, Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Paul says this. He says, uh, where's verse 6? I'm so sorry. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, there's that word peace, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is really good news. As we think about it, it's confessing victoriously that Jesus replaces my anxiety with peace. So let's get really practical for a minute. Do you, do you mean in this age of anxiety, God cares about every little thing? You know what? If you care about it, he cares about it. Bring it to him. Our phones often drive our anxiety. They give us access to more information, more things than we can handle. So uh, when's the last time you prayed over that text you got? When's the last time that you got information, whether it was through the phone or the water cooler or some other weird gossipy conversation? Hello, church. News outlets, social media, anybody else getting more information these days and wondering what's right, what's real, and what's true? And it creates anxiety. And we are a people that are supposed to bring that anxiety, those anxious thoughts to God and confess him. Let me read to you a quote about this idea of prayer around our anxious thoughts. N.T. Wright, a theologian, says this. Paul says we should ask God about every area of life. As I said, if it matters to you, it matters to God. Prayer like this will mean that God's peace, not a stoke lack of concern, but a deep peace in the middle of life's problems and storms will guard around heart and mind like a squadron of soldiers looking after a treasure chest. Isn't that a great image? That when we pray and we bring our anxiety, God begins to guard our heart like a put soldiers around it and says, I've got peace for you. Let me guard it. Let me give it to you. So let's say the statement together, confessing victoriously. If you could put that back up, please. Jesus replaces my anxiety with peace. And he does that through the power of prayer. Let me read to you the last one in Philippians 4, 11 through 13. He says this, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, 
and I know how to abound. He's saying, I know how to drive the beater and I know how to drive the Benz, the Bentley, the Beamer. You get it? He's saying in either situation, he says that, lost my place. I know how to be brought low and know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So confessing victoriously again together. Let's say it. Confessing victoriously. Jesus gives me contentment and strength. Church, this is who we are called to be as a people confessing victory. So let me give you a few next step questions here. And then we're going to respond. We're creating extra space today to respond. First is, have you confessed Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Have, have you said, Lord, I need you, and I need you to not just be my Savior, but my Lord? Secondly, will you confess victory as we walk forward together at Pathway? If you're not sure what to confess, take these eight statements from today and begin to, to place those prominently in your life, not because of the statements, but because the word of God is powerful, it's alive, it's active, it's his promise, it goes forth with spirit and power to accomplish the purposes for which it was sent. Come on, church. I just quoted four different scriptures about the word of God all at once, and you didn't even respond. There is victory in God's word and in the power of scripture and the spirit. Will we confess these together? as we walk forward. Third, will you confess your need for him today and let him bring his shalom? I want to read to you a mo uh, for a moment out of James chapter five because we've we are creating space today to confess victory, which may mean that we first need to confess the things that are sick, the things that need God's touch. In, in James chapter 5, it says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? And I want to take that word sick and say it's physical. It could be mental. It could be emotional. It's all interconnected very often. Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. And let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So this morning, our prayer partners will be coming forward. You're also going to see our board members, those that function as elders in our church, coming forward as well. We want to make ourselves available. Anointing oil symbolizes a couple of things. One is the presence of God. It's also because of James 5, a reminder of the healing power of God. And that when we confess and bring our stuff to him and confess victory, God is victorious and able to work and to move. And so as we do this this morning, 
We're going to have an extended time of just praise and prayer and worship and seeking his face and confessing victory together. And as we do that, I want to invite you to consider, Lord, is there anything that that I need to bring forward to allow you to touch it, to allow you to heal it and to, to bring that next layer and level of wholeness? Could be a relationship, maybe yours with God or yours with another. Could be something entirely different. You know what's tugging on your heart. And it's there for a reason today. If you're online, we have a chat host who would love to meet you in this moment and pray with you as well. So right now, I'm just going to pray over us. And then we're going to open up the front, the altar. We're just going to confess victory together, amen? Father, we thank you for this moment. We thank you for your presence. Father, it's your presence that brings the love, the mercy, the grace, the compassion, the power that we're often missing. So Father, during this time, we just ask whether it's up front in a chair or even watching online, that your spirit and power as we confess and as we confess victory would move mightily. May we see breakthroughs May we see transformation. We invite you to have your way. And Jesus, you are the victor and get all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So prayer partners, board members, if you haven't already, please come forward. You can stand and worship. You can sit and respond, however the Lord leads. But we're here for you during this time. Let's close the series, Confessing Victory. Amen.